Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back with part two of The Murder of Becky Watts. This is episode 126, and... Before we jump in, feet first into this puddle of yuck, if you guys want to check us out on ageofradio.org slash colormedead, you guys can go check out episodes, check out other shows, shop the bazaar, and should you feel froggy, donate to our Patreon. Click that big button, what says, donate. (laughs) What says? And if you just want to go to the main Patreon website, it's patreon.com slash colormedeadpodcast. You can go donate anything from $1 to $75. Um, You get a range of different perks from stickers to hoodies, t-shirts, water bottles, whatever the fuck else we feel like sending. Um, At $1, you get ads. Ads. Nope. You get episodes ad-free from the beginning of your subscription. So go on, donate. If you're having any problems, send something to the help desk. We're having issues. So if you're having any issue, go put some, go put in a ticket with them so that they can fix it. Um, so, but then social media, there is Facebook. There is the Facebook Color Me Dead group. There is also Twitter at Color Me Dead Pod. You can check us out on Instagram, uh, Color Me Dead Angel or Gory underscore Nikki and the Color Me Dead podcast. Mm-hmm. If you want to get some merch, you can do that at colormedeadpod.threadless.com. We're working on adding new uh, images, new things that you can get. They're always adding new products that you can get. It's a It's pretty cool. Should you have a burning desire to send us something in the mail, you can do so at Color Me Dead Podcast, P.O. Box 1610, Vernal, Utah, 84078. Yes. Uh, also, this episode is brought to you. Just kidding. Yeah. We're brought to you by... Just kidding. It was covered by several pieces of information. Uh, the book, The Evil Within by Darren Galsworthy, who was the father of the victim. And also you can go to bristolsafeguarding.org to look up different case reviews. Um, this one is Becky-2018 and part two. So to give you guys kind of a, a little brief recap on part one, um, Darren and Angie are a couple that got together when Becky was just six months old. She was a tempestuous child. She was a little bit difficult and she grew into an, a, like a painfully shy little girl who had a lot of social um, anxieties and issues and it started blossoming into different mental illnesses and that's where we're going to pick up right now. Um, when we left you guys last week, we talked about how Becky had started, um, policing herself with her food. Darren and Angie were hoping that Becky was just going through a phase with the eating, but it continued to get worse, uh, with time. Eventually, Becky announced that she wasn't losing weight fast enough and wanted to start an exercise plan as well. Angie thought this would be a good idea and Becky enlisted her daddy to help, right? Like, oh, okay. And maybe not like so much focus on the, I'm not losing weight fast enough, but like who couldn't spend more time with their kid and do something and be active. Yeah. Let's, let's get healthy. Let's get you nice and fit. So 
This, this seemed like a really good idea. So Angie was hoping to shift Becky's focus on the food to more healthy exercise instead. Darren started telling her that in order for her to work out, she had to eat. Mm -hmm. And this was like a non-negotiable, you must eat, food is fuel. Which, I mean, he's not wrong. That is absolutely true. Well... Becky had started to weigh herself every single day and study herself in the mirror for hours. She was obsessed and fixated at the age of 11. Damn. Yeah. Becky agreed to eat and Darren had gone and gotten her boxing gloves and new trainers, sneakers, to work out. By the by, I just want to say thank you to my coworker Darren, who's actually from across the pond. There's a lot of verbiage in that book that I was like, what the fuck does this mean? And so, and he would help me out because... Right, because they say a lot of words... Um. Kevin from Scotland mm-hmm. would say stuff, and I'm like, I have no fucking clue what that word is. Yeah. Um, and he would be like, oh, what do you guys call it? And I was like, I didn't realize that our language, I didn't realize we had that many differences. It's, yeah, it's little things, but, yeah. but bought her boxing gloves and new sneakers, right? So that they could go and work out. She ate her meals. She started toning up and Darren really thought that he had made some progress with her. She was getting stronger and she was getting more confident. Darren thought that he had made an impact of the strong versus skinny, like size zero mm-hmm. doesn't matter, but that wasn't the truth. Not at school because the little girls at school kept tormenting Becky at the age of I know teach your kids not to fucking do that you know what and it sucks because I think I'm gonna say this and it's a personal opinion you can agree or not little girls are inherently fucking nasty Mm -hmm. I think that we are of the devil um even when we even when we know better we still do stuff and I don't know if it's because we're trying to make ourselves feel better or I I have like I don't know, but little girls are assholes. Yep. At the age of 12, Becky's school made a call to the house, trying to convince Angie not to homeschool Becky to see if there was anything that they could do to change her mind. She had no clue what they were talking about. So when Angie confronted Darren about it, he was equally as shocked. He had never even considered homeschool. Becky had lied to get out of school. When she was confronted, she wept when her lie was discovered. She persisted that she needed to be homeschooled, that people hated her, and they were making her life miserable, and she refused to go back. She would not go back. It was like, the way that I envision this is she's like clinging to her bed frame like, hell no, we won't go type shit. Um, yesterday, as an example of the child that reminds me of her, Addie didn't want to go to school because she didn't really feel good, and she gets her coat on, backpack on, her little earmuffs. She has these most horrifying earmuffs. It's hilarious. They're huge. (laughs) And she's all ready and she walks over to the door and she turns around and comes back, dumps it all off and sits down. I'm not going. I'm like, (laughs) the fuck if you're not going, get your shit back on and get out there. (laughs) That's what that reminds me of. Nope, not going. Sorry. Fuck it. This is dumb and I don't like it. Yep. Today is not the day that I'm going to go to school. Deal with it. So Becky had begged over and over to be homeschooled and... Like her, her dad and Angie are trying to console her and they're like, listen, you know, those bullies, they're eventually going to get bored. They're, you know, they'll find a different target or maybe they'll grow out of it and leave Mm -hmm. you alone. Well, Becky couldn't wait for this. Like it was driving her insane. Darren and Angie told Becky that they could not afford homeschooling. Homeschool, from what I was told by my coworker from across the pond, his name also Darren, is a fairly recent evolution and it wasn't something that was offered back in his day. Now he's in his 50s so he's a little bit older than us but there's requirements that include the curriculum 
or at least there were, that the child had to spend a certain amount of what they consider in-class time. The cost was around 13000 a year U.S. dollar Whoa. to homeschool in the beginning because you had to purchase course materials to teach your child. Now, there are course materials that have been made like ready to download for free. I don't know if all of them are. So also a request to remove your child from school had to be written and accepted from the head teacher. The requirements and such have changed quite a bit since the beginning of the homeschool revolution, Mm -hmm. but there are huge fines associated with a willful child skipping, skipping school. Um, And they're still pretty grand as in like a A grand grand for sloughing school. Like your parents can literally be arrested and thrown into the fucking shoe. For you skipping school. Now, I know that a lot of places in America threaten that. I don't know how many actually follow through with that fucking threat. But in the UK, they don't play. Like, they come and scoop your ass up and you go to jail. I got told I was going to get a misdemeanor if Tyler missed more school. I was like... You criminal? Well, and she had a doctor's note. She was out for something medical. But I was like, read your doctor's note. Put that in. Don't give me a misdemeanor. No misdemeanors. I'm a good person. Well, at this, like, Becky, of course, is devastated when they say no. She flees to her room and slams the door and hides. So what could they do? Should they move her to a different school? Wouldn't that just be giving up? And wouldn't the same thing happen there? Darren and Angie discussed the situation late into the night. They wanted to give Becky a school that she loved, and they wanted her to be happy, too. Darren and Angie started receiving letters from the school, advising them that Becky hadn't been showing up for her classes. There was even a threat of legal action to force her to attend. So this is where Darren loses his mind, right? So he's extremely angry. Angry. Hey, listen, I'm angry at you. You're making me angry. He was really angry with Becky for having him and Angie in such a dangerous position. So if you stop and think about it, because they had to fight for custody and they had Mm -hmm. to go through all that crazy shit to get like... And now she's missing school. Right. So, I mean, it it had to go so far as, like, Darren had to do breathalyzers. Angie had to take parenting classes. And now she's fucking skipping school and they're getting letters like, yo, bring her little ass to school or you're going to jail. Right. So, he was kind of at a loss. He showed her the notices from the school telling her, like, hey, I can be jailed for this. You can be taken away for this. And typical, typical preteen, meh, like, shrugs it off. No big deal. So... Darren had to work, okay? There was no desi- there was no denying that he, as the main breadwinner, didn't have the time to, like, march her to school, sit with her, and make sure that she's attending classes. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I get that this happens. Like, I've seen parents do this in the past. But in an attempt to keep Becky in school and make sure that she was attending, and to keep Darren out of trouble, the school agreed to take her and put her into a thing called the pod. This was a special housing unit for school that was away from the other pupils with more of a one-on-one teaching environment. Becky seemed to accept and adapt to this. However, her obsession with her weight had spiraled out of control. She was skipping meals altogether and making excuses for not eating, and her exercise shot into hyperdrive. Like, she started hounding her dad for more and more workouts every day. It was a fruitless battle because she had no food inside her and was fainting or too weak to work out. She had become skeletal and yeah, skeletal and painfully thin, like just overall ill. She soon had no strength to even lift her frail frame out of her chair. Darren and Angie had moved into panic mode and jumped to her, hate, her aid every time 
uh, she was wobbly. Nathan, who had grown more and more scornful, why can't I say the simple words? Scornful of her, always laughed and told them that she was just seeking attention and to stop babying her. He hated her. He told uh, them she's loving this attention. Nathan went out of his way to push Becky further into her illness. He taunted her relentlessly. He would tell her she was fat, ugly, and teased. Darren would become angry and address Nathan's behavior, which his stepson would shrug off and walk away. And just so everybody knows, your sibling telling you you're fat is very, very hard to take. It's soul-crushing. It don't is. do that. Don't. Please don't. By this time, Nathan was 23 and Becky was 12. This was far past the sibling rivalry stages of life, but Nathan was very immature. He still got upset whenever Angie showed affection to Becky. Dinner time turned into a war zone. Darren would insist that she couldn't leave the table even if it took days. She was going to eat. The fighting was endless. Becky was stubborn and ill and would scream at her father, insisting that he wanted to, to make her fat. He would tell her that he loved her and he wanted to keep her alive, and Becky would refuse still. Angie, upset with everything, often wept when Becky was not around. She told Darren that this was no longer a phase. They needed to get help, and they had to get some now. The next day, Darren and Angie woke Becky to tell her that she was going to a doctor. Non-negotiable. The doctor tried to reason with her. You are underweight for your age. If you do not eat, you will be admitted to the hospital, he told her. Becky snapped right up and promised that she would be better. She would eat. Darren, hip to his daughter's tricks, knew that she was fooling the doctor. Lip service at its finest. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you what you want to hear. Oh, yes. I'm going to eat. You've <laughs> just scared me to death. I'm going to do what I need to do now. The dinner may have continued. Becky would simply... Oh, Becky would simply puddle with her food and take a few mouthfuls and swallow and try to humor her parents. Still pushing her food away, Darren broke out and yelled at her, Can't you see you're killing yourself? Becky didn't care. She said the sight of food made her sick. She struggled with the smell, the act of swallowing. The food was outrageous for her. She was wasting away. Desperate, Darren and Angie called the doctor. He sent all of Becky's files and charts to the Riverside Adolescent Unit for Eating Disorders. When they arrived and Becky's weight was taken, she weighed in at only 70 pounds. A girl her age should have been 92 pounds. Darren and Angie were horrified with the weigh-in and angry... Um, too angry to take notice that Becky was pleased with herself at how little she weighed. <clears throat> That's my eight-year-old who is tiny, weighs 60 pounds, almost 60 pounds. She's a little ball of muscle, but an 11-year-old? So at 12. 12. Because she's now turned 12. She's 70 pounds. That's Calvin's age, and he's like 160. Mm -hmm. And, and she wasn't a short girl. Like, she wasn't exponentially tall, but she wasn't short either. Um... When Darren realized how much of this had taken over her mind, he genuinely feared for how really sick she was. Her obsession was great. Her diagnosis, anorexia nervosa. Darren and Angie felt really defeated. Failure crossed their minds and they just couldn't understand how it had gotten so bad so fast. And they were really scared to death. Becky was killing herself, like, for real. As part of her treatment, she was, she was required to go to two therapy hours a week with her psychologist. She was encouraged to talk about like her body image, her feelings, her fears, and Darren and Angie had taken up to going to these counseling meetings with her. She struggled to open up in the beginning, but she eventually warmed up to the counselor and started talking about the bullying, how she wanted to fit in, that she didn't know how to make friends, and that she knew being thin was the answer. Mm -mm. 
When she was asked how she felt about home, Becky snuggled into her dad for safety. Hmm. Let that be a, a, a warning, okay? Becky told the therapist that she loved dad and Angie. She trusted them and felt safe with them. That home is where she feels the most confident. But she did not feel safe alone. <sighs> she, a uh, quote, I do not feel safe with my older brother, Nathan. Darren and Angie really couldn't understand this. And they look at her for answers. And they're, they're kind of like, they knew that Becky and Nathan got along for the most part. And that they had their fights. And, and that, you know, Nathan was jealous of Becky. But they just couldn't understand why she would be fearful. So Darren and Angie are both, you know, like trying to reassure her that you have no reason to be afraid of Nathan. He would never hurt you. He's your brother. He would never harm you. And if he did, I would protect you is the stuff that her dad was Uh. saying. Now, she questioned her father, like, how would you protect me? And made the comment, like, you're getting older now and you're not always around. So Darren really thought that she was just trying to be cheeky. Like, she's being funny, like taking a jab at his, you know, old age and gray hairs. But... There was a very serious air, like an air of seriousness is what I, what I wanted to say, that they were overlooking. Um, they thought that she had been playing a little bit about Nathan. And mm. they knew that he was arrogant and even nasty at times, but they really just didn't see that he would be capable of hurting her. Um, I mean, the way that they looked at it, you know, you've got these two people that love each other very much. Um, they're... Their relationship is really sweet. <clears throat> it's it's kind of fairy tale mm. shit, but they you know they looked at each other as their soulmates. Yeah. So like, wouldn't their kids also just kind of like f- fall into that mix, like fold into that? You know. Well, weeks passed and there was still no improvement from Becky. There was a home visit from a social worker as well as a specialist from the clinic, and they had told Becky that they were going to take her to go inpatient and. Basically, like, hey, we're coming to pick you up. We're going to go show you around the Riverside unit for eating disorders. And we need you to get familiar with that so that you feel comfortable because that's where your little ass is going until you get better. Well, Becky, immediately upset, she refuses to go. She's like, I have, you know, like, I have no intentions of letting anybody take me out of this house or away from my dad. Um, You can't make me. My father won't let you. You know, typical, typical little kid stuff. Well, the strangers told Becky, like, there's nothing that your dad and Angie can do. At this point, you have to go. You have to get better. So, of course, in a panic, she starts promising again. I'll eat. I'll do whatever I have to do. She's shaking, crying, begging. I mean, at this point, she's frantic. Well, and at that point of after not eating for that long, she probably really can't eat. Like, she's probably no. not hungry. Food fills her up too much. You know, anything. Uh, from personal experience, the first week that I was in treatment, uh, food was my enemy. I hadn't eaten properly in so long that swallowing water was difficult. Mm. Trying to put anything into my body. Like the second day that I was there, I was doing all my paperwork and my brother trying to be nice went and got me a plate of food and brought it to me. And it was this huge man sized plate of shit. I looked at it and was like, please God, no. I cannot. Uh, no. So, the social worker and the specialist didn't seem convinced with her great plea, not even a little bit, and the extreme reaction of being taken from her family made them reconsider their plan. They told her, okay, like, we're going to let you stay, but we're going to be back in a few weeks to check on you, and if you don't make any progress, you got to go. 
Well, guess what happened? Hmm. Becky made out, yeah, Becky made out a new list of groceries that night and she added foods that she hadn't touched in months. Um, the brunt of the meals were still like the diet ready-made sort, but she added pizzas and pastas and a few meals with like fats and carbs. Once they return from the store, she immediately sticks one in the microwave, heats one up and eats. Becky forced herself to finish the entire thing. Every ounce of food was in her body. Darren knew that this had to be hard on her tiny little stomach that had shrunken and that her body probably wasn't processing this after being starved for so long. Uh, yeah. But she didn't complain. She didn't protest. But the thought of not being at home with her dad made her desperate. She had been given the task of gaining one to two pounds a week until she reached a healthy weight. It took almost eight months. Damn. Mm-hmm. For her to hit her hit her goal, but she finally did it. Not to brag, but I could do that in a week. Right. Hey, I don't wanna I don't wanna pat myself on the back and hyperextend my fucking elbow at the same time, but I can do that in a I couple could, of days. I could gain fifteen pounds. Just yeah, give me a couple days. I got right? it. I I got this. So the specials came by regularly, and it was to weigh and monitor Becky. And once she had regained her strength, she started working out again. It was slow process, but Becky's relationship with food and exercise had really started to change. On her thirteenth birthday, it brought the end of like this terrible era. Now I know a lot of you. When I said you can guess what happened. You thought she was going to have to go inpatient. She didn't. She did it all on her own. Good. Now, this was in addition to, you know, she was still going to counseling. Mm -hmm. She was still seeing therapists. She was still seeing the specialist. You know, there was still a social worker. Her dad, Angie, you know what I mean? She had a lot of people helping and in her corner. It's a process. Right. On her 13th birthday, she wanted to celebrate the event and got a great big chocolate cake and helped herself to a huge slice because all great things in moderation. So the family was really excited for Becky to be happy again and start feeling normal. So one of the things that was really plaguing Becky and, a, you know, taking its toll on her that was, I think, resulting in the, the anorexia was her social anxiety. Um, being a kid is hard enough. Being a kid that doesn't understand how to make friends or is awkward or gets scared to the point that they're literally frozen in fear and can't interact, mm. that created a lot of problems. So what she what she did when she started building her confidence and started feeling better is that she turned to be a peer mentor at her school. She actually got an award for it. So any of the kids that had come in that were also struggling with different things like social anxieties or learning disabilities or what have you. She kind of took them under her wing and helped them out. Unfortunately, she had already gotten so far behind in school because of, you know, being sick with anorexia and everything. She had to transfer to the Bristol Hospital Education Service at 14 um, so that they could really focus on her education and, you know, get her, yeah. So, but Becky's growth as far as her education, her social skill, making friends, everything, like just, she was a late bloomer almost, you know, and too much, too much too soon caused her to crash yeah, and try to control the one thing that she knew she could control, which was her food and her weight. And so once she got better, instead of plunging her back into the wild world of being a teenager, this was what they did for her. All right. 
Becky not only made friends, but she had a new or had a few boyfriends as well. Mm-hmm. Luke was a charming boy that even Darren loved and referred to him as a perfect gentleman. By the age of 16, Becky confided in Angie that she was considering sex. To this, Angie took Becky straight away to her room for a private talk. Darren, of course, sat outside the door trying to listen. Angie, like you do. Right. It's, about, a, what are it's you a predictive saying dad, you know? Are you saying, fuck, no, don't do it. Keep your legs closed. Oh, my God, I'm going to sew that shit You shut. will get chlamydia and die. Now You'll take die. these rubbers. Yeah, if you have sex, you're going to die. Yes. That's what happens if you have sex before you're 25. You die. You die. Um, Angie explained that the most important part is that Becky be ready emotionally, and if she wasn't, not to proceed. And that if Luke really loved her, he would wait if she wasn't. Becky was... In, I can't say big words. Indignantly insisting that she knew all about intimacy when Angie asked if she knew how everything worked. Mm-hmm. Becky- this, I love this because kids, kids now that attend public school and they have maturation classes or kids that have too much access to the fucking internet, they know how everything works. On the internet, we know how everything works. There's Shiza, but there's some kids. That were late bloomers. Myself. That, that might not fully understand how things work. Well, I, I didn't know. I thought that the dudes like started sperming from the time that they went in. Like the whole time <laughs> there was just a sperm. I didn't know it was one one end game situation until I was like older. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Like 18. Yeah. Like I had already had sex before I realized that that was how it stopped like i i didn't know oh wow yeah (sighs) speaking of late bloomers i don't know becky was behind in ways of emotional maturity since she had missed so much of schooling and socializing becky protested a bit when angie started telling her how it all works angie told becky that it was her job to make sure that uh, Becky knew everything. After Angie fully explained the act of sex, <laughs> Becky sat silently, like you would after your mother just explained that shit to you. <laughs> exactly. She had no clue that having sex included her boyfriend inserting his penis into her body. Yes. She was under the impression that he simply put his penis on her. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I thought it was a magnet for a long time. Like, that if you were naked, it would automatically just go in. I I chuckled pretty hard. Like, oh my god, it's got to go in it, me? It does what? What? It fucking does what? It does what? Where? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> That's where I pee. No, thank you. Um, as Darren ran from the door, covering his laughter with his hands, it was pretty apparent that Becky was not ready for sex and that she made it clear she was waiting. Becky worked hard in school to get caught up. She wanted to become a veterinarian one day, and Darren had supported her dreams to go to college and become exactly that. Her testing was coming up soon, and she would be making the strides into adulthood, slowly but surely. Darren and Angie couldn't have been happier. Nathan Matthews, her stepbrother, um, we're going to talk about him for a moment. Darren took his responsibility as a stepdad very seriously, as Nathan never spent any time with his biological father. Nathan took to Darren for the most part, but he was uh, never all the way okay with anything regarding his mother attention not being focused on him 100%. He spent most of his days playing games, PC and, um, and station things, you know, 
You know what I'm talking about. He was really into computers his entire life and often had to sort out um, things for Darren and Angie, like like the kids do these days. Could you yep. fix my phone? <laughs> He'd even been a bit of a loner in school, and much like Becky, he had a hard time making friends, too. At the age of 14, Darren took to enlisting him in a junior ROTC program called the Army Cadets. And this was to help him establish himself, make friends, which he did, and learn some skills. Nathan did well, and he got to go to special trainings. And academic, academically, he was average. And he wasn't, an overachie- uh, he wasn't an overachiever. He wasn't brilliant, but he did okay. Towards the end of his academic career, Darren and Angie had to pay for a private tutor to get him up to speed so that he could pass all of his exams. This shit happens. My kids don't math. I don't math. Their dad doesn't fucking math. Mm -mm. We have had to get tutors. Like, and there's nothing, like, if my children want to sit down and write a thesis paper or they need to know what a dangling participle is, I have their fucking back. Because English and languages, for me... Super easy. Like, I should probably go and teach English as a second language. For real. But if you put math in front of me and it is, like, anything above basic algebra, I cannot help you. Same. I cannot help you. I'm killing it in 12th 12th grade. And... 7th grade math. I don't even know what the fuck grade he's in. Killing it. You know what? You've got me for, like... I think I've got, like, two more years worth of knowledge to help you out. And after that, I'm, I'm... that's what I told Calvin. I was I'm like, fucked. after eighth grade, I'm pretty sure that I'm I'm not an option for homeschool anymore. <laughs> I'm not, so I can't you're help gonna you. have to figure this shit out once you go to high school. So, sorry, dude. You're gonna have, uh, dude. When my kids brought home stuff from like their senior year, and they were like, "I need help with this," they put it in front of me. I read it, I reread it, and then I stare at it for you're a very like, long time. Will you get me my phone? <laughs> I'm like, we need to call someone who knows. <laughs> yeah, this is not for me. Well. Nathan would go on to get his motorcycle license and he got himself a little moped and became a delivery driver for a local place, um, like a food establishment, and got into an accident. Well, he was not seriously injured, but he did sustain some back injuries. Um, He got his driver's license and got himself a car and started learning how to work on cars. Um, He got into a little bit of like basic teenage trouble. You know what I mean? Like remember he was living with his his nan his grandma margaret mm-hmm. so he got in trouble with like throwing parties and that like got out of hand and then you know he called darren and angie and was like grandma's on her way home uh the house is fucked i need help like help me clean up hurry 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 right i and i all hands on deck i all fuck mayday 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 <laughs> i'm hung over i'm not very much help right now i really need some assistance <laughs> would you like some assistance um, so there are little things like that, that, you know, some of us, some of us did that shit. Um, I remember specifically Me? one party that I threw at my mom and dad's house while they were out of town. Shit did get out of control. A glass coffee table oh, in no. my mom's front room got broken and we ended up, um, the person that broke it also needed quite a few stitches in their body because of that. And because I didn't want to get in trouble, I drove him to the ER and dropped him off and fled. You're like, get the fuck out. I'm going to keep moving. Like, go, 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 bro, go, go. You're, on, you're on your own. <laughs> um, and then when my mom 
and dad come home and they're like, the fuck exactly has happened in this home? What Wait. happened was... Because my, my parents lived in a super groovy house that was built in the 60s and it had this great big open like art deco fucking window from the upstairs to the downstairs. I lied, said that I had something sitting up there. Kitty cat jumped up there and knocked it down. It fell in the living room, smashed mm. the table. I cleaned it up. I'll replace it. And my dad's like, you can't. I bought that in 1963. And I'm like, cool. What I got to do. I don't do. know what to say now. Yeah. Like, uh, I'll shit. I'll scrub your toilet with a toothbrush. I don't Fuck, know where we're going to go. Okay. So I get it. Well, <clears throat> so Nathan had a, a pretty normal, like, teenage go. Right. Well, he had his very first girlfriend at 18, and it was a really short-lived relationship. And this was the first time that Darren had noticed some really um, concerning behaviors, okay? So Nathan would always complain that his girlfriend had friends that were, that were male and not enough females. And it was very, like, it didn't go unnoticed that he was not as confident outside the home as he was in. He was jealous of everyone. The pair broke up and Nathan started in with things like, she owes me money. He started following her, like, following her around, going to her home, staying, like, outside of her car. The police were notified and got involved. Well, Darren and Angie are pretty horrified at this point. Darren grabs him, pulls him aside, demands that he stop talking to her, quit being so fucking creepy, like leave that girl alone. Nathan insisted that she owed him like $400 and that he wanted his money back. Darren told him to, I love this, sort yourself out. Sort yourself. Sort yourself out, mate. <laughs> it's four, like, it's $400. Like, you shouldn't have given it to her if you didn't have it to loan. That is kind of my, like, that is my thing. If you don't have the money to loan and you're going to be exponentially out, if you don't get it back, don't fucking loan it. Always give it, not expecting it back. That. So, Darren and Angie had a feeling that the money was just an excuse to follow her around. Well, his grandma ended up having to go with his mom to speak with the ex-girlfriend's parents to keep them from pressing charges because the ex was starting to become very afraid of Nathan. Darren and Angie had become pretty afraid of his behavior too because now they're like okay this isn't just like weird awkwardness he's a fucking weirdo and of course i think that there's for most parents when your kid starts doing weird shit you still love them you know what i mean but you're like quit acting like a fucking creep mm -hmm. like what are you doing you know what I mean? I I honestly I think I've thought about this in great detail after some of the cases that we've done. I think I know the exact moment that I would stop loving my kid. Yeah. When when people say there's unconditional love, no. I there's not. And I say that like I, I will always love my kid, but there there would be a point where I'm like, no fucking way. Like, this is where I am. Uh, like, I am a bleeding you from my fucking life. Yeah, bye. Bye. But I guess you could still love them. Yeah, you just have to love them from afar and in private. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, so anyways, um, it seemed that Nathan would kind of grow out of this creepiness a little bit with the girls, but none of the girlfriends ever really stayed around all that long. And it wasn't like having their, like... Okay, it's, it's a teenage boy at the age of 18, 19 years old. It's not uncommon for girls to be kind of in and out of the picture, right? Mm -hmm. um, but this seemed like an abnormal amount of girls that were like in and out, in and out, in and out. Like nobody stayed. Does that make sense? Make it a little slutty. Or not even slutty, but like 
a girl comes around because Nathan Matthews was not a bad looking guy when he was cleaned up. You know what I mean? But they come around and then they're like, fuck this. Okay, that was a bad choice. Let's go. Right. So when Nathan was 19, this was one of the situations, if you will, that raised suspicions for Darren that there really was something off with Nathan. And I know that hindsight is fucking 2020. When you look back at a bunch of different shit, you can obviously pinpoint things that should have been more alarming or they were alarming, but then it kind of worked itself out or whatever. But when Nathan was 19, he came by Angie and Darren's house while Darren was outside in the driveway working on the car. Nathan pulls up with a carload of girls. Okay. Young girls. Very young little girls. Darren looked like he took the time to really look at each one of the girls in the car and realized that none of them are over the age of like mm, 13. So they're in the car giggling, cutting up, laughing, having a good time. And Darren thought like maybe Nathan was just trying to get a rise out of him, right? Like he showed up to the house all willy fucking nilly with a bunch of little girls to see if he would say anything. Well... Darren grabs Nathan, pulls him aside, and he's like, who the hell are these little girls? Nathan's like, I don't know. They were just some girls that I met, and they wanted to go for a ride. And then, <laughs> like, sat with the fucking blinky, blake, blinky, blink face. This one, uh, uh. I don't know. They wanted a ride. It's like, I'm a ride. Right. So, Darren snaps. He's like, uh, you know, try to, try to feel every emotion, like, all at once. Like, mad, confused, disgusted, because that's exactly what happened. He could not believe that Nathan had picked up random little girls off the street to go joyriding. He's like, he looks at him, he's like, what are you playing at, boy? I don't know what you're doing, but this is very odd. Those, those are children. Get in that fucking car and you return them to their parents. <laughs> go now. take them back. Yeah. This is weird. Nathan laughed at first, but when he realized that Darren was not playing, he hopped back into the car and drove away. Darren assumed that he took the girls back to where he picked them up from, but he couldn't know for sure. He didn't see Nathan for several days after that event. Nathan went back to his nan's house and refused to talk about the incident afterwards. Darren eventually convinced himself that Nathan had gone, um, had done it to get a laugh out of them. Darren told himself that he was a normal teenage boy and that he was just having trouble navigating the rough waters of the opposite sex. And and maybe, and, and, you know what I mean, problem. like. I, I am not going to beat around the bush because I've had this conversation with my own brother. Some girls at the age of 13 look fucking 19. Yeah. At the age of 13, I probably, I, I, not probably, I looked 18. I Easy. Could, yeah, I could have if I wanted to. I looked well above my fucking pay grade most of my young adult life. Mm-hmm. Which is truly unfortunate because it made me look fucking old. <laughs> Like, if you look at some of my pictures, you're like, damn, bitch. How are you going to be 18 going on 39? <laughs> so, and now I, I look much younger than I rightfully should for my age. I love it. I know, right? Like, you looked older then, younger now. It worked out. You're like, whatever. It's perfect. Yeah, perfect. In, in 2008, Nathan had come to the house for a visit, and he had a girlfriend in tow. He introduced her introduced her as Shauna and Darren was immediately put off by her. Darren told Nathan there was no way that she was coming into the house. She was obviously underage and he would not have her in the house. So when child services were keeping such a close eye on Becky, Nathan was 21. 
Darren then recalled the time that he'd shown up with a car full of the 12 and 13 year olds. There was something, um, not right about all of this. Darren demanded that they leave. Nathan swore up and down that Shauna was 19 and that Darren couldn't keep him out of his mom's house. Darren blocked his entry to the house. Darren let um, him know that he paid the mortgage and he made the rules. Nathan and his underage sweetheart were not coming in. Darren called Nathan out for for trying to lie about the age of Shauna. You and her can piss right off. I can tell she's not 19. <laughs> Nathan and Shauna left, angry and snubbed. Darren went into the house uh, to wash his hands and talk to Angie about the girl. Angie tried to calm her husband. He didn't even give her a chance. The next time Nathan and Darren crossed paths, Nathan had an attitude. When Darren addressed it, and asked if he if he had a fight with his girlfriend. Nathan demanded to know why she didn't come over. Darren said, If you can supply a birth certificate showing that she was the age of legal consent, she could come over. Until then, no. Yeah. So, what's the matter? You have a, you have a little fight with your girlfriend? Why can't she come over? Birth certificate. Because she's 12. Because <laughs> you're fucking 9. I, you know, <laughs> so, Nathan can... Like, this... This is the part that I feel like as a parent, I would have pulled my kid aside. I realized that this is his stepson, but my kids are also my stepkids. Yep. If this exact situation happened, I'd have pulled my son to the side and been like, you ever fucking lie to me again? You ever lie to me again? I will knock your fucking teeth out. You don't lie to me. You don't bring that kind of shit around me. No. Nathan continued to see Shauna and nothing for a year. She wasn't coming over to the house. There was no birth certificate, nothing until birth certificate in hand. They show up at the door and Nathan's waving it in his face. She had just turned 16. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. Uh, age of consent now. Woo. P.S. You were right before, but now right. we're good. So yeah. she can come over. Yay. So now that he's 20 fucking two and she's 16. <laughs> Hmm. So, there was an entire year, okay? So, there was a full seven years age difference between them. Now, Darren knew that this was a recipe for disaster, but he couldn't go back on what he had said. And he was still mad that Nathan was messing around with little girls, and in addition to lying to him in the first place about her age. But at Angie's request, he did give Shauna a chance. Maybe not so much at first, but... He did mention that she was polite and she showed good manners. The one problem that he did have was that when nobody was looking, she treated Becky poorly. Becky was only 12 at the time and she had just gotten better with her anorexia and she was really desperate for a friend. So Shauna was that little bit older and Becky wanted her to like her really bad. So she was always doing things like offering her free clothes or other belongings or makeup or, you know what I mean? Like little, like girls do. Mm -hmm. I've got, well, people in general, but... You know, here, do you want this jacket? You can have it, you know. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Sweet. Um, so, Shauna would do this really weird thing where she would make it seem as though she were doing Becky a favor by taking her things. So, Darren had caught on and was watching the interactions from, like, a hidden place and was listening to the conversations that Shauna was having with Becky and confronted her. Well, it was one of those situations where it would be like, oh, hey, do you want this jacket? Yeah, I'll take it off your hands for you. Not, hey, thanks, sweet. Jacket. I do like jackets. 
Well, when Darren confronts her about it, he ended up kicking Shauna and Nathan out of the house for their attitudes. They stayed the majority of their time with Shauna's mom. Over time, Nathan deteriorated. He refused to work, claiming that he had a bad back, that he was diagnosed. Hold up. Wait a minute. Finger quotes. Diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Now, anybody who has fibromyalgia and anybody who knows autoimmune diseases knows how incredibly fucking difficult it is to get an honest-to-God legitimate diagnosis, especially uh-huh. for fibromyalgia. Uh-huh. It takes years. Oh, if you're lucky, seven. Uh-huh. So the pair were constantly at each other's like throats, bickering, making the other one angry or jealous. Nathan stopped taking care of himself, and Darren started commenting on his shabbiness. And Nathan would always allude to the fact that, you know... If he, he, he couldn't work, he was disabled. And this goes back to the, the little moped accident that he had where he hurt his back. Now, I'm not saying that the kid wasn't injured and I really don't know how poorly his health was with his back and shit. And I, he may have had fibromyalgia. I didn't know. Um, but I know that fibromyalgia can be fucking crippling at best. So, you know, did he, did he have a valid reason for not working and collecting benefits? I don't know. Um, but because I don't like this guy, I'm going to say he's probably just a fucking butt munch. Darren had a suspicion that Nathan only stopped working and refused to work so that he could keep an eye on Shauna 24-7. Nathan eventually got really nasty and shitty towards his mom, which was pretty insane. Uh, because he had always adored his mother, right? Well... Nathan and Shauna had become extra mouths to feed and they were mooching off the family, borrowing money, things like that. Nathan had a very cruel habit that he had started of scaring Becky as well. He was terrifying her. So not, I mean, this wasn't what should have been like, you know, when you jump out at somebody ah, and you scare them for yeah. fun. This, I don't think was ever initiated out of fun. Um, he was grabbing her like he would jump out and grab her and shake her and like scream into her face as a jump scare. And he was claiming that he was only doing it to wind her up. But Becky was left visually disturbed. Like Nathan had started to tear Becky down verbally as well. Any confidence, anything that she had self-esteem, he would destroy it. It was a constant battle to keep him off of her. And it was almost like his sole purpose in life was to make her as miserable as possible. It probably was. So, with with that, um, the point the the part that I kind of wanted to pull like dissect and discuss a little bit is if you see your son slash stepson, okay, you see him talking down to your your daughter, Mm-mm. you see him being derogatory, you see him being cruel, you see him being physically abusive mentally emotionally that kind of thing what do you do at that point because my initial reaction and i'm don't get me wrong this is not like a recent development in my in my life it started in 2011 and i've done it exactly four times since 2011 where if in a situation somebody becomes toxic cruel dishonest untrustworthy what have you i'm like fuck it uh, cut him out of my life and fucking fling to the other side of the universe and I will literally never fucking speak to you again. Now, not everything needs to be that cut Black and dry, and white, yeah. you know, or like that intense, but 
for me, if I see one of my kids doing that to my other kid and they don't live in the home. I'd be like, get the fuck out. I'd be like, don't put your fucking here. shoes on. Yeah. And kick rocks. Right? Yeah, don't like, be here. If you're going to just be a bitch while you're here, don't be here. Just go. Bye. Because I really just feel like, um, as a as a parent, that's kind of your place to make their home their home, their safe place. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't get to come in here and be a fuckhead. No, this is where my kid lives. You don't get to come here and be an absolute cunt to her. Because this is where she lives, not you, motherfucker. Bye. Bye. Go back to Nan, who, whatever. I just, yeah, like, I, I have a really hard time with shit like that, where, you know, dude, just kick him out of the fucking house, you know? Eventually, Nathan and Shauna would announce that they were with child, because they needed to, to be with child. <laughs> Darren's attitude changed towards the two. He was about to be a grandfather. Shauna was to be a part of the family. Darren hoped that the baby would force Nathan to grow up and become a more responsible man. He and Angie were both excited over the prospect of having a newborn around as they both loved children, but couldn't have one together. Becky had also become very excited about the baby, but Nathan's hatred for her had grown to the point that he couldn't stand her at all. One night, as Becky happily chatted to Angie about the baby, Nathan snapped at her, You will never touch that baby. Becky was stricken with absolute heartbreak. Darren, furious, snatched Nathan up by his collar and drug him away, demanding to know why he would say such a thing. In that moment, Darren realized that he had no idea who this boy was. The demon that he had become made the boy he was, he once was proud of unrecognizable. Now, because of the way this story ends, there is little to no info about the baby. However, the child was born. Darren and Angie helped Nathan and Shauna get to and from the hospital, and it was said that Nathan took to being a father really well, and that the entire family was very happy to have the child in addition to their family. Um, In 2011, while dealing with Becky's anorexia, Angie had a health scare that would rock her and Darren. She woke up one morning and couldn't see. She screamed for Darren, telling him she could not see. Are my eyes open? Darren assured her that they were and was trying to calm his wife as he helped dress her to get her to the ER. Darren got his wife to the hospital, and after many tests, nothing could be determined. Every test that was done came back totally normal. The doctors advised them to go home and rest as much as possible while they tried to find answers. Wouldn't you keep someone there that couldn't see? I... Doesn't that kind of point towards a brain tumor? I mean, that seems kind of alarming to be like, go home and rest. After a few days, Angie woke with some of her sight back, and after a few more days, her sight had fully returned. However, she was tired. She had to rest much more than usual. She slept twice as much, and she got weaker and weaker. After months and months of struggles and frustrations, the doctors diagnosed Angie with MS. (sighs) And just so y'all know, if you didn't, um, I have a lot of feelings about multiple sclerosis because my mother is in a nursing home with very, very mm-hmm. advanced multiple sclerosis and the shit is a fucking life ruining disease. So, and MS affects everybody differently. Um, some people have a slow moving, slow progressive. Other people have fast moving, fast progressive. 
Some people get it on their brain. Some people get it on their spine. Really unlucky motherfuckers get both. Like my mom. Um, people in real life, like celebrities, like Selma Blair, has really hardcore MS. To a point that she now walks with a cane. Oh, no. And you have you listened to her speak? Uh-uh. Okay, so I'm going to share this with you just because I need for people to understand how quickly MS can fuck your whole day up. So. Selma Blair, The Interview. Here's Robin Roberts. How are you doing? I am doing very well. I am very happy to see you being able to, you know, just put out what being in the middle of an aggressive form of multiple sclerosis is like. Holy shit. So, now, that was our 1990s sweetheart. You know what I mean? Cruel Intentions. Hellboy. Walks with a cane. Cannot speak very well. Now, and well, she's that, like our age, isn't she? Yes, she is. Now, Fuck. can that improve? Sure. Will it? I don't know. But that's what this shit does to you, okay? So Becky had tried to help, right, um, with, with Angie's stuff. So Danny had actually moved out of the house to go and live with his mom, Tanya, and <clears throat> he had always kind of had like a really protective vibe for his mom. So he had moved out of the home several years prior and went to go live with his mom. Nathan, of course, still hates Becky more and more and has alluded to the fact that it's Becky's fault that Angie is now sick. Angie becomes more and more dependent on a wheelchair. So what happens, if you don't know, with multiple sclerosis, um, it's an autoimmune disease. Your body attacks itself because fucking why not? And it actually attacks the protective myelin over like your nerves and your brain. So when it starts to take, like when it starts to um, eat at that myelin, you lose control over certain shit, including your fucking hands, your limbs. That's how my mom figured out that she had it. Her hands went numb Mm -hmm. and she thought she had multiple sclerosis, right? Or no, zip, zip, zip. She thought she had carpal tunnel. Went and had carpal tunnel surgery, didn't fix it. The myelin had already been eaten away. And she lost the feeling and the use of her. She can use her hands kind of, sort of. Anyway, Angie is becoming more and more dependent on a wheelchair. She can get up and walk for, you know, shorter distances. But um, the other thing that will happen with MS is your energy doesn't exist anymore. Like things that you should be able to do in an hour's time now take all fucking day. Darren actually decides to propose to Angie and marry her. And this has been like part of the, this had been his plan all along. You know what I mean? Like Jesus, they'd been together for 15 years and happily so. Um, But he really just wanted to make it like official, um, which I thought was really sweet. No time like the present. Let's not waste time because autoimmune diseases can end lives Mm -hmm. quickly. Yeah. Darren asked Becky to be the bridesmaid and to plan the flowers and the clothing. Danny and Nathan were going to be joint best men. And they even changed out of, um, oh wait, excuse me. 
Danny and Nathan were joint best men. So everything was put together. Beautiful wedding. The colors were like baby blue and baby pink. To, you know, that kind of thing. But everybody had a really wonderful time. Um, Angie and Darren had even changed out of their wedding clothes for the reception. The, <laughs> the reaction. For the reception, dressed as Shrek and Fiona. No. Complete with green body paint. Oh, cute. I know. That's what I'm talking about. Fucking A. So, in 2014, Shauna had actually become Angie's full-time caregiver for her illness. Darren was working 14 hours a day to make up for the time that Angie could no longer work, and he couldn't do both, and he had become very tired. Caregiver sickness is a real fucking thing, Mm -hmm. guys. Becky helped as much as she could while going to school, but there was so much that had to be done. Darren later said that he was bothered that it was apparent Shauna was only after the money that was being given um, to her for being the caregiver. So she kind of did the bare minimum of help, right? Like, I'll do your dishes. I'll do a little bit of laundry. I'll... Doesn't... Well, I don't know how it is over there, but doesn't, like, the government pay sometimes for caregivers? Yes. So she... All she had to do was be there. Yes. So, one of the things that people don't understand, like with MS, some people might have MS and you would never know. Mm-hmm. Um, other people, obviously, it's it's visual. You can see the shit. Um, the type of care that is really needed for somebody that's in an, like an active, aggressive, like flare-up with MS, um, like light cleaning and doing your laundry is really the tippy tip of the iceberg. You need to be making sure that like dinners like meals are being prepared and you're cleaning up afterwards you need to make sure that the house is clean you need to make sure the wash is done if they have um like errands that need to be done whether it's paying like if you have to go somewhere to pay bills go to the bank like take shit to the post office go to the grocery store that's the kind of shit you like the heavy lifting you need to be doing the heavy lifting the little piddly shit around the house like dude i i'm not saying that everything is not appreciated when you're helping somebody especially like somebody that's Um, becoming more and more tired or somebody that is becoming more dependent on a wheelchair. But realistically, my mom used to be able to sit and fold laundry while she watched TV. You know what I mean? So like folding a couple loads of laundry, meh, not really that much help. Um, What you need to be doing is like going outside, pulling the weeds, running the trash, like that sort of shit. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and she's supposed... Angie would normally be taking care of the family, so if you're just there to take care of her, then take care of the stuff that she would do, too. Like like you said, like feeding everybody, doing the laundry, cleaning right. the house. So, you know, taking a, a damp rag and running it over the countertops, not really exponentially helpful. No. You know what I mean? Like, get your ass in there, take out the fucking trashes, scrub the toilet, get the shower, like, that sort of thing. Um, I lived with my mom and dad when I was a a younger kid, like after my mom had her, um, carpal tunnel surgery and took care of my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, from bathing to toileting to dressing, I prepared every meal. I cleaned up after everything. I did all the yard work. I did a lot, like Mm -hmm. on top of working full time. Like at one point in time, I actually quit my job to stay and take care of my mom. After she got her diagnosis of MS... Um, my mom never did receive benefits. My mom, nothing. She was never approved through Utah State for Disability. Even with a diagnosis, like, bitch had a spinal tap. What says? You got MS. You rolled craps. So, I maintained and stayed with my mom, um, 
until about 2003. Um, I did come back briefly and help her for a year after my In dad 2007. had... 2007. Yes. Because my dad had to have knee replacement surgery. I only remember because I was pregnant with Calvin. Yes. So anyway... Um, the amount of thing, like the, the amount of help needed can vary from day to day, but yeah, dude, like you're essentially like, if you're going to, if you're going to earn your money, those are things you got to be doing. Mm -hmm. So February 17th, 2015, Becky had been lounging about all day in her jammies because it was considered half term, which is like midterm, whatever school break. No school. She and Angie were just chilling out that day, and while Darren had been working at the power company, it was dark by the time he got home. Becky greeted her dad and joined him to check on Angie. This would be the last time that Darren would see his daughter alive. Darren settled into his nightly routine of making dinner and tea and taking care of Angie before he had a smoke and showered and then headed to bed. On this particular night, Becky had asked him for a pizza and garlic bread as a late night dinner, which he obliged. He delivered his daughter's food and headed to bed. Becky had been in her room, which was considered her little safe haven watching TV. She'd fallen asleep there with the sound on pretty loud. Darren, who had gotten up, crept like the TV woke him up. He gets up, creeps into her room while she's sleeping and shuts everything off. He said that he had taken a moment to sit and look at his lovely little girl. Darren later stated that had he known that was going to be the last time that he saw his child, he would have stayed and said so much more. He would have cut... He would have cut. Oh man, now I'm getting sad. He would have cuddled up to her all night. Darren got up before everybody else in the house the next day to get ready for work, and this was something he did every day during the week. So the next day, when he gets up and he showered, he's out of the door before anybody else even opens their eyes. When he arrived home that evening, Angie told him that Becky had stayed the night with a friend. The parents in Bristol called it kid share, which I think this is like <laughs> hilarious and awesome. So, during, like, midterm and summer breaks and shit like that, the parents would take all the kids once a month and, like, send them to somebody else's house. Kid share. I like Your it. turn. You take these little motherfuckers. I feel like that's what I get anytime my brother comes to town talking about you, Ryan. But it's always my turn. <laughs> right. It's always my turn. <laughs> Which I'm cool because I make them, like, clean stuff. I'm like, sweet, everybody's here? Everybody do five minutes of cleaning. Right. Okay, that just turned into an hour. Whatever. Sweet. It's good for you. Just kidding. I don't really do that. Gives you, what do they call it? Character. Yes. (laughs) So, Becky had stayed the night with her friends, and then, so he saw her on the 14th, and then the last time she was seen at home in Crown Hill, Bristol, was the morning of February 19th, 2015. It was the morning of Danny's birthday, and the family had celebrated his birthday the week before because Danny had made plans to go out for his actual birthday with his friends. Becky was last seen by her stepmom, Angie, after Becky had knocked to be let in after her key wouldn't open the front door around 8.30 in the morning when she came home from her sleepover. Angie, who had left the house around 11.15 in the morning for a doctor's appointment, said that Becky had come in the house and headed straight up to her room. Angie's mom had come to collect her and take her to the appointment, and they were back around 12.45. Nathan's car was spotted in the ho- spotted at the house. Nathan and Shauna were sitting in the living room watching TV, messing around on their phones, um, having after having let themselves in with the spare key that was left outside. As far as Angie knew, Becky wasn't in the house. She figured that the typical teen had gone out with her friends for the afternoon and didn't make a point to ask too many questions. She figured that she'd be back later like usual. 
Shauna said that she heard the front door slam earlier while she had been out in the garden smoking, and that must have been Becky. Luke, Becky's boyfriend, came by the house looking for her. When Angie told Luke that she wasn't home, he seemed a little confused because she hadn't responded to any of the texts that he sent her. Angie said that as soon as she got in the house, she would have Becky, you know, call him, text him, whatever. So he thanked her, and off he goes, and still kind of wondering why his sweetheart hadn't responded Right? Mm Because this is a teenager with a fucking cell phone and a text Mm -hmm. plan. Mm -hmm. So it was said that Becky was not, like, it wasn't uncommon for her to go and kind of carouse. And I mean that in the gentlest teenage way. Like, they go and spend the night at friend's house and, like, don't come back to the house for, like, clean clothes. Or, you know what I mean? And it's just, like, the spur of the moment type shit. So the thing that I wanted to kind of discuss about this is... You give your kid a phone, okay? They can call, they can text. They can drop fucking location pins, right? Mm -hmm. They can share their location, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, if my daughter's boyfriend shows up in the house, at my house, and says, I can't find Paige, she's not answering my texts, right then, right there, I'm going to be like, hold up, wait a minute, we got a fucking problem. Everybody in the living room, what the fuck? We're going on a search. Right. So, I... For me, okay, for me, I always have my kids, like, one text away. And it's not that I don't let my kids run amok. Amok, amok, amok. Amok, amok, amok. It's that I make them call and check in, or I make them text me and check in. You know what I mean? Like, right? Yeah. Let me know where you're at. Call and check in. Let me know you're okay. If you're moving from this place to that place. Call me when you get there. Just text me. I don't yeah. even care. Just be like, I, we don't need a response or anything. I'm right. going from this place to this place now. Sweet. Hey, I got to so-and-so's house. We're in for the night. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Nathan and Shauna had stayed around the house that night until about seven with Angie. Darren and Angie had turned in for the night and February 20th carried on as usual. Darren got up, went to work, nothing out of the ordinary. Angie calls him later concerned because she still can't find Becky. She started telling Darren that she didn't want to alarm anybody, but nobody knew where she was. Her friends, her boyfriend, not her brother, not her stepbrother, nobody. She's not answering her phone, and Angie's worry had started to peak since nobody had seen her since Thursday. Even Tanya and Danny had no idea where she was. Have you heard from her? Do you know where she is? Darren was racking his brain trying to think if, like, maybe in passing she was like, oh, hey, by the by, I'm going to go with this friend for a few days. Yeah. Kids do that. Okay. That, and I am guilty of forgetting shit like that. Right? Yeah. So he's trying to think about it. He had remembered her lying in her little onesie and he's like, okay, light bulb. He has a thought. Well, he runs to his manager and he's like, hey, I just got a call. My daughter's gone missing. His manager suggested like, hey, check her Facebook. Right? That's Mm -hmm. a reasonable thing. Yeah. I agree with that. Fuck. Look on Facebook. Look on her Twitter. So Darren hops on, left a message on her Facebook, and was like, hey, call me and check in. You know, looked all over her Facebook. But there wasn't anything that indicated where she might be at this point. So Darren tells his boss, like, look, buddy, I'm sorry. I got a bail. Like, my fucking kid is missing. Mm -hmm. His boss is like, don't, like, no worry. Don't, don't even worry about here. Go find your kid. When Darren gets to the house, it's about 30 minutes later, right? There's a living room full of people standing there, all with the same fucking duh face. Like, they're all confused, all anxious, because now we're in a group, and not a single motherfucker can recall where she is. is. So, 
Angie, Nathan, Shauna, Becky's friends, Becky's boyfriend, Luke, everybody is growing more and more concerned. Darren is looking around the room and he's like, okay, so every single person that she could be with is literally standing in front of me without her. So that, of course, would shoot me into fucking oh, fuck, yeah. panic mode. <clears throat> Luke had grown worried over the fact that Becky hadn't texted him not one time since Thursday. None of her friends had seen her either. Darren started to make a timeline and try to sort out when the last time she was in the house and when she may have left. When the group started brainstorming and, you know, Shauna was the one to pipe up and be like, oh, well, I heard her leave the house when Angie was at her doctor's. So she must have left the house on the 20th between 1115 and 1245. Darren is now calling his daughter like more and more and it's getting his voicemails are more and more urgent, like his phone is shaking in his hand. He looked to one of Becky's friends, Courtney, and said, um... If you would, like, can you go into Becky's room, take a look around, and see if you see anything out of the ordinary that's not in her room, like clothes or something. Um, and Courtney was, like, her very closest friend, had spent a lot of time in her room, would know if something was out of right. place, right? So Courtney gets up there, looks around the room, and, you know, the room that her dad thinks looks pretty normal, she's like, uh, Becky's jacket is gone, but she left her makeup. Becky never goes anywhere without her makeup. None of her bags are gone. They're all here. She always takes a bag. Hmm. Uh, there were clues that made no sense. Her phone was gone. This wasn't unusual, but her laptop was missing. Um, Becky never took her laptop outside the house ever. Darren inhaled sharply and returned to the living room to announce that, sh that he was going to call the police. It had been well over 24 hours since Becky was seen. It was 4 p.m. Darren took to the phones to contact police. After answering their questions, they agreed to send out patrol to their house uh, for further investigation. After he hung up the phone, he turned to the friends gathered in the living room and he told them to go home. He would let them know as soon as he knew more. In the meantime, he wanted to get, um, get them home to their parents. Darren, trying to fight a wave of panic, called Becky's cell again and left yet another message. Darren was filled with with nervous energy and couldn't sit still. He walked door to door, asking all of the neighbors if they had seen Becky. No one had. He asked Nathan to make a post on Facebook, anything that could lead them to her. Darren was pretty useless when it came to social media and needed help. Nathan agreed to help, found a selfie of Becky, and started making the post, asking everyone to share or send a private message if they had any sort of info. Darren thanked his stepson, who had returned to his spot next to his girlfriend, Shauna, and their kid. The police showed up to the humble house. Each of the family members were um, present were then questioned. Like they were asked, did you have a fight with her? Mm -hmm. What is your relationship with her like? Did she seem okay when she came home from the sleepover? The police gave the gals were these impression that she had just wandered off to her friend's house. Perhaps a new friend? They didn't seem overly concerned about her and Darren was frustrated. He thought search parties should have been organized at least. Um, his thoughts had begun to race with all the horrible things that could have happened to Becky. Tanya and Danny called for an update to which Darren gave all the info he had. So after 24 hours, I would be freaking the fuck out. You know what I mean? And especially if the police were like, maybe she like made a friend and just went fucking. She's got a new friend. I know all of her friends were here, but maybe it's a new one. So for a person that has a kid that doesn't make kid, like make friends very easily, that would scare the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. And I, 100%, I'd be like, we are fucked. 
Because yeah. like, I am that, I'm like, oh, God. Well, the news of Becky's disappearance had spread all over Bristol, and the Facebook post had been shared almost a thousand times, yet nothing had turned up. Darren had started calling more and more frantically to Becky's cell phone and leaving messages that were more like threats, not to Becky, but people that may have had her and listening to the messages. When Angie heard uh, Darren leaving these types of messages, she burst into tears. The stresses of the day had caused her MS to flare up and it had started to take its toll. So soon it had become difficult for her to even speak. So she had to turn in to get some rest. Darren, who was entirely too wound up, stood there staring at his computer, unable to quiet his mind. He stayed up for hours scouring Facebook, trying to find anything. He felt worse for having to update the few friends that were asking because he had no good news. He had gone in and out of her room searching for clues, anything, but he found nothing. He chose to post another request to Facebook <clears throat> and to the community and beg for help. The post was shared immediately and compiled absolutely nothing, no help. At this point, he's past scared. He had lost the need or the desire to eat or drink. He mm. hadn't showered and he just sat hopeless. By February 21st, the police had come to the house and introduced themselves to Darren and Angie as Russ Jones and Joe Marks. They were quick and to the point. They were there to collect DNA. They wanted to go in, get some of her belongings to aid in the investigation. So they had to ask for permission to search the house for clues. And of course, Darren's like, yes, please, fucking clues, find them. He had been up all night yet again. He'd gone into Becky's room to pray. He didn't even clue... He didn't even have a clue, like, what God he was praying to at this point. He just knew that if there was one, he needed to pray. Mm -hmm. Well, like any grief-stricken and freaked-out dad, he would, like, hit his knees and start promising, like, just send her home. I'll make her happy. I'll say I'm sorry for anything I've done. I'll fucking go to church. I'll stop cursing. I'll quit smoking. I'll only drink on every Thursday and bank holiday. Like, you start negotiating yeah. with God, right? I've been there. <clears throat> Well, Angie took him, like, that night and tried to put him to bed. And he just sat, like, he just laid in her arms and cried. And she was so exhausted and so, like, overwhelmed that she, like, passed out with him, like, in her arms. Yeah. Now, the police are in and out of the house, right? They're in there with a moment's, like, within a moment's notice, okay? There's eight officers buzzing around the house. Darren had tried to make a comment to the police that they really needed, like, you need to be out in the community looking for her. She's not in the house. We made that pretty fucking clear, right? Well, the officers, like, pull him aside, and they're, like, trying to be compassionate. And they're like, listen, there are vital clues in this house to where she is. Like, her disappearance, like, she wasn't zapped out of thin air. You know what I mean? So yeah. we have to do this. So Darren tried to be as welcoming as possible um, and, you know, aid them in whatever they were doing. By the 22nd, the Avon and Somerset police had made their first appeal for information about her appearance. And the following day, her father and grandmother appeared at the press, appeared in front of the press at a conference appealing for her return. An online campaign using the hashtag FindBecky was launched on social media, reaching more than 2 million people worldwide. Police searches focused on a number of properties in Barton Hills, Southmead, St. George's Park, and Troopers Hill Nature Reserve. In addition, searches were made in nearby open spaces and park areas, as well as house-to-house -house inquiries. Searches were also organized by public volunteers in areas including Wharf Road in Fish Ponds, Trim Valley, and Baddock's Wood. 
Police made a public appeal for information regarding the movements of a black Vauxhall Zafira. <laughs> what the hell is that? Is that a car? Yes. Okay. Which is apparently a, a British car. Uh, between the 19th and 23rd of February, Darren's entire family came to his home and formed a circle around him. All of them embracing their family member, asking what they could do. We're here to do something helpful and be useful, and we aren't leaving until we do just that. Darren broke down again over the family's sense of, sense of urgency. They designed flyers and pam pamphlets to spread around the neighborhoods to find his daughter. Darren's family was steadfast in their attempts to find Becky and spread the word, handing out flyers all day. Darren had begun to lose hope, and in a fit of exasperation, he asked Angie, We're never going to see her again, are we? Choking on his words as he struggled to get them out of his mouth, in the next room over, Darren could have sworn he heard Nathan mocking him. But had he? Darren had not slept properly in days, and he couldn't be sure what he had heard. He dismissed the thought, because at this point he knew he was hypersensitive anyways. And, as always, Angie consoled her husband, telling him not to give up. He had to believe that they would see her again. Days passed without any news whatsoever. So they had done the press conference and then they actually did a news radio interview as well. And Darren's getting more and more frustrated mm -hmm. because you can only be asked the same shit so many times before you snap. Of course. And I have an even lower threshold for that kind of shit. There was another thing that happened that made sense to Darren that really was, it was frowned on by like the Facebook community and like people in general. Darren had made this post, right? On the book of face. Mm -hmm. And what made sense to him? Okay. Like, hear me out. What made sense to him didn't necessarily go over well with the rest of the community. And here's why. He put out a post that was like, um, before my daughter went missing, she asked me to buy her tampons and my little girl was having her monthly. He was asking for parents or wives or whatever to closely examine clothing in their home before washing it. Basically saying like, if somebody abducted my daughter and raped, like raped her or sexually abused her, her blood would be. Uh-huh. And he publicly shared that. And a lot of people were like, dude, what the fuck? And I could see that, like, here's his little girl. A, she's been missing. There's been no leads. Um, he's trying, like, he's frantically trying to scramble for information. Okay? Anything. Anything's better than nothing. Right? So he makes this Facebook post. Didn't go over very well. A lot of people were like, bruh, what the fuck? I get it. I get it. Like, dude, I'm sorry, but like, if you were like, if you're one of those people that normally does all the laundry in the home, but like your kid comes, like your kid or your husband or your boyfriend or whatever, like suddenly comes home and becomes fucking Susie homemaker. And it's like, no, no, I'll wash my own shit. I'd have been like, how do you get blood out of clothes? Yeah. Uh, Mom, what do I use to get? Yeah. Blood? Just wondering. Can, can, can you, you do that? Should I burn them? So there was that. Um, the police organized a search and made the family leave their home. And they took several days to do an investigation. They brought in a forensic team and dogs. On the 27th, there was a buzz from the police. They 
they were really having a hard time with the like, you want us to believe that not a single motherfucker saw your daughter leave the house. Like, not a neighbor. There was no, like, CCTV footage from any local shops, no security footage from any of the neighbors. Like, literally, she had just vanished, and that makes no sense, okay? Like, somewhere, there's got to be something, Mm -hmm. right? Well, Russ and Joe took uh, Darren and Angie for more questioning. However, they decided to take them separately and split them up for the line of questioning. They wanted to get the answers from the married couple apart. Um, They had asked about the family home dynamic, who was related to who and how, and they asked about the relationships between Becky and Nathan. Um, And it was more like they asked about Shauna, but it was really directed at Becky and Nathan. And the police went deeper, deeper and deeper into their questioning and Darren started to get pissed. Like he's tired, he's worried. And he just didn't understand, like, why are you badgering me about her stepbrother? Mm-hmm. Okay. The fuck are you getting at here? Get yeah. there quick, because I don't have the patience. Well, February 28th, 20, 28th <laughs> February 28th, Matthews and Hoare were brought in, arrested in connection with Becky's disappearance. Darren was notified that the two were being held for questioning, and he was pretty dismissive of the entire thing. Like, he's... He's pretty sure that they're barking up the wrong tree. And, you know, why the fuck have you got them in there? They're family, right? Well, yeah, they they could be like, well, everybody had to go in for questioning. So it's their turn, I guess. Right. Whatever. Well, Darren and Angie weren't really told much about the situation. And he pretty much just chalked it up to the police making sure that they spoke Mm -hmm. to everybody. They got all the info that they needed. Well, on the 3rd of March, they were rearrested on suspicion of murder. When Angie's cell phone rang, she mouthed the words, Russ, to Darren, which was one of the cops. And Darren rolls his eyes, kind of scoffs. You know, he's like, you know, it's going to be the same shit, different day, no update on Becky. She's still missing. Meh. Well, that's not what happened. Angie sat, and as she's listening to the cops talk, she's got tears, like, pouring down her face. Mm. When the call's over, Darren, obviously standing there looking at his bride, you know, like, what the fuck? She then informs Darren that the two have been arrested. The police had not said why, but they were on their way to the hotel that Darren and Angie are staying in to tell them what's going on. Now, remember, they had to leave the house for the forensics investigation, okay? Yeah, so they could look at everything. When the police arrived, they marched in and, like, cop walks in, he's like, shut that TV off. And they're like, oh, God. Like, Jesus. So, they, yeah, they shut it off and they're like, you have my full undivided attention. What? And he said, listen, this is no longer a missing case. Uh, uh, Words elude me. This is no longer a missing person case. It's a murder investigation. Uh. So. Prior to that, when the cops were like explaining certain things to Darren about questioning Nathan, um, they were like, Nathan's being very uncooperative. And he's like, no shit, he's being uncooperative. You've got her brother in there. Like, how ludicrous is this? And then the cops are like, yeah, she's not missing. This is now a murder investigation. Oh, shit. Becky Watts' dismembered body was found at a property in Barton Court, Barton Hill, the home of Carl Demetrius, an apparent acquaintance of Nathan. The DNA they had taken from her toothbrush made it possible for them to positive, positively identify her. Darren threw up or tried multiple th- multiple times thinking about what they had just said. Her parts. 
Mm-mm. Angie just crumpled. She had her, like, put her head in her hands and started wailing. The, poli- the police said that they had arrested Nathan. He told the police where to find her parts. He admitted to being responsible for her death. Shauna was arrested for perverting the course of justice and the corpse. Which is basically like uh, obstruction of justice and helping hide her body. Mm-hmm. The really shitty part is that just a few weeks prior to this, Becky had started to get along with Nathan and Shauna. And it had made Darren very happy because he seemed like it seemed like they were making a change for the better. Like they were putting forth an actual effort to like get along, be homies, and like uh, play family. But it right? was the exact opposite. Well, it's apparent now that Nathan and Shauna were doing that only so that they could get Becky to trust them so they could attack her. Becky's blood had been found on the doorframe of her bedroom, just a tiny little touch of blood. And the f- this is the fucked up shit. So, teeniest little splatter of blood. Beep. His fucking Nathan's fingerprint was in what the blood. What are the chances? Right? Like, you didn't clean well enough, you piece of shit. You missed a part. Well, that's like, okay, so... The one fingerprint and the blood, they identify that it's Becky's blood. They see that it's Nathan's fingerprint. He's arrested, and, like, after he decides to be a compliant piece of shit, he admitted his guilt. Past that, Nathan was being difficult in his questioning. Darren had, at this point, erupted in rage. Um, he was bellowing about how could he kill, like, how could he kill my little girl, that fucking bastard? He had never felt this kind of fury, and he had no idea... How to handle this level of betrayal. His own goddamn son had killed his sister. Took her body apart. And then helped look for her. Sound familiar? And stayed... A lot of people. <laughs> Who do we start? What's his name? Strunk. We could start with Roger Strunk. Yeah. That was the, one, the first one that I thought of. And then there's, there's plenty more. Right? So... Angie stayed up. Or, excuse me. Angie just stayed really still and cried. The police spent some time gathering Darren up because they didn't, like, they didn't feel like it was safe to leave him until they had calmed him down. No. And before letting him know, at his request, that they would let him see her as soon as they could. Mm -mm. After the police departed to go and tell Danny and Tanya, Darren asked Angie if she wanted to go for a drink. The only thing that he knew that could drown out the pain of knowing that his daughter was dead. Not just dead, murdered. And not just murdered, fucking dismembered. As they sat down in the pub, Darren basically put down shots of vodka like it was his job. Mm -hmm. Like, legit, that would have been me. Angie sat sipping on her own drink. And, of course, like you do in most bars, TVs. Fucking as far as the eye can see. And what comes on the TV? Boom. News update. The missing Bristol teen found her body was in parts. Her fucking dad sitting there. Like, trying to drink away his sorrows. And then here it is. Oh, let's remind you that we found her parts. Not not just a body. No, we didn't just find her. We found her dead. And she wasn't just dead. She had been disassembled. She's in pieces. So, thankfully, the barmaid noticed Darren and switched the channel really quick. She was like... Are you, like, do you want me to change the channel? And he's like, "Uh mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, there was something in the newscast that Darren had not been aware of. There were four other people that were being arrested in connection to her murder. But who were they? What part had they played in her death? And why did the news people, like, why the fuck are they reporting on this and I don't know? No shit. How did they know and I don't know? Exactly. 
Darren drank himself into an oblivion that night. He tried to turn off all the pain he was feeling and all the, and the alcohol only intensified it, as we all know it does. That night, he poured himself into bed, a totally broken man. The next day, the police contacted him and Angie, stating that they needed to question them again, separate, again. Darren agreed, but only under the condition that the police knew that his wife was suffering gravely from MS and that she would need assistance with a lot of things if he could not be there to give her that help that they had promised to do so. The police, very understanding, agreed and took Angie to a station across town. When they settled into a room with Darren, they started a line of questioning about Nathan. This time, this time was different. Darren would no longer defend Nathan. He had already admitted to murdering his sweet little girl. Darren intended to stay honest in his answers, but he felt no desire to shield his son, finger quote son at this point, from the police. Um, what is Nathan like as a father is one of the questions they ask. Does he have a temper? Darren told the police that Nathan had been an, a, a good attentive father that he really couldn't bash him as a dad. He went on about his short fuse. He told them he did get, get quick to anger, but that he had always been a, a good enough boy. What really floored Darren in the hours and hours of talking is that he started recalling all of the things that he had, had dismissed. The scare attacks on Becky, the car full of young girls, Shauna's age, the recent attempts to get along with Becky. Darren returned to the hotel where Angie was waiting for him. She greeted him lovingly, and he did not return the sentiment. His anger, hurt, exhaustion. He snapped. Mm. Uh-huh. Like, you could... Like, I I fully understand um, explosive anger. Duh, mm-hmm. it's me. Like, if anybody knows what it's like to have uncontrolled rage, it's me. And especially over something like that, because he looked at her... And was like, how are we ever going to fucking get through this knowing what he did? I'll fucking kill him again. If I ever get close to him, I'll chop him up like he did Becky. I would say the same thing. And I'm not an explosive. Well, I mean, I have been recently. But (laughs) I I am not normally someone that gets really angry a lot. But I would say the same goddamn thing. I have, I've almost, well, I haven't said I would chop someone up. But I told them I would beat their fucking asses. If I see her again, I'm going to kick her fucking ass. Swear to fucking God. State law. State law. <laughs> um, so, one of the... I mean, how difficult would that be to hear as a mom, though? Yeah, because not only did she lose her daughter... Daughter. She's, she's now lost a son. A son. Her only son. Her son. Her son. Her biological son right. that you can only imagine he's going to blame her for. Well... Angie is sobbing because, like we just said, she couldn't listen to Darren talk about her son like that. He was still her child, and she had been tearing herself up internally for what Nathan had done. Angie was terribly worried that Darren would leave her because of what Nathan had done. She was constantly asking if they were going to be okay, and, and like, are you going to leave me? Like, are you going to walk away? She relied on Darren for so much. I mean, not just, like, the love and devotion that you get from a husband, but, like, financially, emotionally, mm-hmm. like, everything for her illness. Darren comforted her over and over, telling her that he would never punish her for what Nathan had done, that he loved her so much he couldn't bear the thought of being without her, regardless, no matter what Nathan had done. Darren, at this point, was so broken, and so was she, that... 
like the thought of losing another person, mm-hmm. j- we can't. No. Like our family's fucked now. Um, and it was, you know, like you said, Angie didn't just lose a son. She lost a, a daughter too. She had been there since Becky was six months old. Yeah. March 5th, Darren and Angie had been alerted by Russ and Joe that they could come to the morgue to say their goodbyes. Oh, no. I'm going to read this and I'm going to get upset just so you know. I don't like it. Okay. And I will try very, very hard to keep my shit together, but I'm going to get upset. All right. Um, <clears throat> Darren had been... God damn it. Emotions. I need you to take several seats back for a minute. Darren had been suffering through nightmares and night terrors every night since being told about his daughter's death. He had woken up that day covered in his own sweat and shaking. He had had no idea what he was about to face and what he was going to see, but he had to go look at his daughter's corpse. He felt like he he owed it to Becky to say goodbye. When they walked into the dark facility, they had not been told what they would be seeing. All they said before Darren and Angie went in there is, she's all there. Darren had Angie in her wheelchair and was pushing her into this dark, dingy room where Becky was lying on a slab. Darren asked Angie if she was sure that she wanted to go in there and, like, gave her a a way out. Like, are you sure you want to go do this? Mm -hmm. She said that she was sure and that she wanted to see this and said that it was her daughter, too. Darren made a statement that I'm not sure I'm okay with, but I'm not, I am not... I am not blaming anybody for anything they say in grief, right? Right. I can't fault people. Grief does weird shit to you, right? I would probably say the same thing he said, though. I'm not going to lie. Are you sure you want to see this? This is what your son has done. Mm. Oh, fuck. Ugh. Fucking just stab it in and crank it over. I... Yeah. Well, and it's it, maybe just because I'm third party person and I always thought it was really sweet the way that Angie referred to his children as hers. And up until this moment, he had done the same. Now, I'm not stupid. I realize like your anger and your grief do some crazy shit, but that was fucking cold. This is what your son has done. Not our son, your fucking son, not Nathan, not the boy, your son. That's very accusatory and blamey. It is. <laughs> just... And maybe, but I could see it. I Right, right. And maybe it's my line of work because I, like, dude, I'm literally almost a counselor. Almost a counselor. That's like almost being a doctor, just so you guys know. But, like, <laughs> it's, you know, like, I statements. Yeah. So that you don't, you're not blaming. Like, this is what our son has done. This is what Nathan has done. Like, this is what your son has done. Fuck, man. Easy. Reel it in. Not that I'm saying he did it right, but I could see out of anger doing the same thing. You know, I, yeah, I'm just saying, like, I'm not victim bashing, but, like, bro, she hurts too. Like, yeah. personal opinion, whatever, but take it easy on your woman. It wasn't her. Like, right, she didn't do it. So they walked up to the slab where Becky's little broken body had been pieced back together like a human jigsaw puzzle. The way that he describes this is... Said, it took all of my strength not to collapse with grief when I took a close look at Becky's face. Her appearance knocked all the wind out of me as if my chest had been hit with a sledgehammer. She looked so small and frail, unbelievably young. No older than no older than 12. Her skin was pale and her little mouth was open slightly. Her lips were blue, her eyes were closed, and her hair was pushed back behind her head, matted and untidy. In the midst of all my despair, I couldn't think I couldn't help but think that she would have hated her hair being so untidy like this. 
I wondered... Mm. I wondered how... Her body shape could still look intact under the blanket, and then I realized she had carefully been pieced back together. They must have assumed that was the best way for us to see her. I gazed at her face, taking in the purple bruises on her forehead. My eyes traveled down to see that her hands were sticking out from under the blanket. Her knuckles were covered in bruises, too. I instinctively knew that those bruises were because she had tried to fight back. Yeah. So, they told Darren that she had her official cause of death was suffocation. They said they assured her that she had died quickly. She did sustain over 40 injuries in her fight. She was covered in bruises from head to toe, including those defensive wounds on her hand. Her head had been completely removed from her body, like at the collarbone. Pull out your best fiends app and start playing right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, might want to go. No, we ain't done yet. Darren said that so many things in his time with Becky's body, things that made him sad because in hindsight, like he saw things and he, he said things like he asked her, why hadn't he cut? Like, why hadn't she come to him? Why didn't she tell him? Why didn't she tell him that she was scared? The problem was Becky had in fact told her dad and mm-hmm. Angie that she was scared of Nathan. Mm-hmm. See, this is where I'm going to get upset. She did. She did fucking tell you. And you thought she was playing you didn't take it serious and again i don't want to be that asshole that takes digs at a daddy who is staring at his little girl's body but like when your kids tell you that they're afraid of somebody in therapy fucking listen okay take that shit seriously if your kids don't want to hug somebody or you know what i mean like oh go give uncle billy a hug and she doesn't want to or he doesn't want to fuck that shit like if your kid says like i don't like my cousin matthew freaks me out fucking ask questions this is why why tell me why what happened what does he do so darren had said that he would happily have traded places with becky or spent his days in prison for having killed nathan and shauna before they could hurt her Darren kissed her cold little forehead before leaving, promising that he would get those bastards back for what they had done to her. So he did do something that I don't think I would have. He pulled the blanket back. No. Said, I reached forward and gently pulled the blanket down slightly just past Becky's shoulder. I had to see for myself what they had done to her. But I made sure that Angie couldn't see. Becky's nape, Becky's neck was covered in white crepe bandages and on the right-hand side had slipped down, revealing an ugly, gaping wound where her head had been removed from the rest of her body. Her wrist had the same bandaging. My little girl was so damaged that she had to be bound up like a mummy. I felt sick to my stomach and I didn't pull the blanket down any further. I knew the rest of her body looked the same. Mm-mm. No. Well, as one can imagine, Darren, after leaving the fucking morgue, gets outside. He's replaying all these things in his head, lights himself a smoke. And before he even knows what's happening, he fucking turns to Angie and says, you gave birth to a fucking monster. <laughs> I'm laughing and I'm trying not to cry. I just, fuck. I feel his rage, though. Like, every time you talk about the rage, like, 
the rage among rage rage fucking I, rage i can't blame him i know he's not right by doing it but i could see myself doing the same thing so like before he can even think about what's coming out of his mouth you gave birth to a fucking monster your fucking son is gonna die when i get my hands on him i'm gonna fucking kill him and of course cops are there he turns beats the shit out of the spare tire on the back of his rover and the cops like get a hold of him and are like pull yourself together man well angie said nothing like absolutely nothing they get darren like situated he eventually calms down they get him back in the car and they ride back to town in silence but they at least held hands darren had not drank so much in such a short time like not in years and he had been drinking every day since the announcement of becky's death when the couple arrived back to the hotel where they had been staying he ordered several rounds of double vodkas that's the spirit ouch when he was ready to speak to his wife he looked at her and said I love you very much. And I don't know if you can accept this, but I very much intend to kill Nathan. Okay. I would too. I'm still not saying that he was right. I just feel... I just like, how the fuck, how the fuck would you handle that if the, like your husband, your sweetheart, your soulmate looks at you and says you gave birth to a fucking monster? Ow! Well, so, but Dude. what she says back to him is, do what you have to do, Darren. Just don't ever tell me about it. I could also see myself saying that. Because I bet she kind of feels the same way in in a way. Right. Um, Angie did not defend her son. She did not try to per- persuade her husband otherwise. She simply didn't want to know about it. In that moment, Angie was equally as angry as and devastated. I'm sure that she, I'm sure that she had some pretty intense feelings as well. March 26th, Nathan and Shauna appear for their initial arraignment along with the four others named in the case. The appearance was done via video link, which I think had a lot to do with the safety of the prisoners. But the others were Carl Demetrius, the homeowner, his twin brother Donovan Demetrius, Jadine Parsons, and James Ireland, who had been charged with uh, with offenses from assisting offenders to perversion of justice. The trial would not take place until October. Many months from then, Darren had no idea how these people could live with themselves. Who were these sick fucks? This is where we're going to leave you for now. So yep. stay tuned for next week when we cover the funeral of Becky Watts, the trial of Nathan and Shauna, as well as the verdict and sentencing. Most importantly, the aftermath. Until next time. Do not murder your fucking siblings. Don't. And stay stay out of chalk lines. lines. Goodbye. Goodbye.